Welcome to the Indianola First Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our prayer is that this message will inspire you, encourage you, and launch you into life-changing action. Hallelujah. It's good to be in his house. Good to see all of you. And I'm just praising God for what he's doing. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if you, you know this, but just to tag on a little bit of what Pastor Jared was talking about, um, I... Uh, I'm, I'm so excited about what's going, what's happened in Larry's life. And um, yeah, amen, do you know about that? Some of you might not know, and I just thought, well, I'll throw it out there for you. I mean, he, he uh, was diagnosed by his doctor after a routine blood check at work with the doctor told him he had leukemia. Now you better see an oncologist and get things start set away. And so he came in for prayer. He was pretty broken, as most of us would be. That next Sunday, he came down and he prayed over here. Uh, got prayer during worship. Um, he called for the elders of the church. That was Tuesday night, and uh, we, we were here, and so he came in and was prayed for that way. The following Sunday, he was uh, uh, prayed for again. He came down here with his family, and he worshiped God together, just worshiped him. In my heart, I could, see, I could see on your face, you were, gonna, you were saying, God, I'll just praise you no matter what the results are, because no matter what, I'm in your hands, and it's a good thing. And then and then uh, we prayed for him during the service. We kind of stopped the service for a second last week, and we prayed for him in service again. And God just been in this the whole way. Then he had, a, he had his, uh, his big uh, kind of your, your test on Monday and scans and all that. And so the reports came back, and, and they said your cancer or leukemia, it's not your cancer, by the way, but the cancer that was in your uh, bones is, is in remission, and they don't need to do anything, and you need to maybe come in in six months and say how you're doing, but... He said, you're probably going to die of old age. So, you know, um, that's pretty awesome. I mean, God, God's our healer, you know. And, you know, I, the, the most impressive part of that story for me is, is that he's down here with his family praising God no matter what. Because that, that's what it's all about, praising him. We might get into a little bit of some stuff like that this morning as we talk about things. But we're in this, this discussion or in this series on unity, and I, I, uh, I don't know if I've ever spent so much time in one chapter. Um, we're, we're five weeks in. We're, we're basically to verse 8 in chapter 1. Um, it's slow going, but there's so much rich stuff in here that we've got to cover it. And I don't care how long it takes. I don't care if we're in Ephesians for, for, uh, till the fall. I really don't care. We're, we're going to go through this, and we're going we're gonna, to like squeeze that that lemon until all the juice comes out, right? Or that orange. We like orange juice more than, more than lemon juice, right? So anyway, um, let's throw up the, the, the picture of the outline here quick, just so you guys who haven't maybe been here know where we're at. So the study in Ephesians, we're going through it line by line, really. Uh, the beginning of unity, we, we started off with that and, uh, and what it means to be in Christ. That was our week one. Um, in Christ is in the book of Ephesians, that phrase or a phrase like it, like 36 times and over 160 in Paul's writings. It, it means something, and we read over that a lot of times, and we don't understand what it was and, or, or what it is, what he's referring to. And so uh, in Christ, just to remind you, that's being in him, that's plugged into the vine, that's having a vital, awesome relationship with him, that's real, it's personal, where fruit is growing on your tree because you're plugged into the right vine, right? That's being in Christ, and there's a lot of promises in the Bible that include that little phrase, for those that are in Christ. They're promises, but that's the condition. They're not for everybody. They're for those who are in Christ. Say it again. They're for those who are 
in Christ, absolutely. And then we got into the benefits um, the following week of, of what being in Christ, uh, some of the benefits are. And uh, number one, we're adopted, we're his kids. I'm a child of the king. Long time ago, we used to have a children's church in this church, and we called it Kids of the Kingdom. And we, had, we even had a song in there, Kids of the Kingdom, that's what we are. Kids of the Kingdom, that's what we are. I remember singing that. We are kids of the kingdom, right? You are sons and you are daughters of the Most High King, and you've been adopted, you've been grafted into the vine. And then we talked about how we've been redeemed. It's a benefit of those who are in Christ. When you're in Christ, you have been redeemed, completely redeemed, paid for, you're ransomed. The blood of Jesus Christ has covered your sin and paid your debt. It's an awesome thought. And he's not, not only uh, redeemed your past and your present, he's redeemed your future. It's an awesome thing to think about. And then we went into last week about for being forgiven. He has forgiven us. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. I don't, I don't care how bad you are. You bad? You're not bad enough to, to, to be outside of the reach of God's forgiveness. And we talked about that. And then we even got into forgiving one another because if we've been forgiven so freely, how could we not forgive those who offend us? We gotta be those that forgive because that's being an imitator of God. That's being like him. And this morning we're gonna get into we uh, can know his will. We know his will and I, I want to continue with verse 8, the second part of verse 8, and get through verse 10 today. We're going to get to, through two and a half verses today. That's an Iowa praise the Lord if I ever heard it. You know, <laughs> woo. Wow, you guys are getting crazy on me. Woo. We're getting through two and a half verses today. Yeah. It's exciting stuff, right? So Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8b through 10 says this, In all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will. Remember that phrase, the mystery of his will. According to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, there it is again, things in heaven and things on earth. So we know his will, his ultimate goal, his ultimate all-time big picture goal is to unite or bring together all things that are in him, things in heaven and things on earth. His sacrifice has washed those that are in him. His blood has washed their sin and, and the guilt of their sin completely away. In the fullness of time, when the culmination of all things is upon us, when all of future history has become past history, full reconciliation will occur for all that are in Christ we will be one with him and we'll be one with those that are in him. Remember Jesus' prayer, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, Jesus said, Father, my prayer is that, that, they would, that, that they, his bride, his church, would be one just as you and I are one. Well, this is what will happen at the end of all things that we know, at the, at the end of history, it's gonna happen. We will be one with him. This is his big plan, his big uh, his big picture, and, and how many remember what, what unity means? Oneness. We talked about many times throughout this series already that the beginning of unity is being in him and being unified with Christ. Lining our life up with what, who 
and who he is, his character, his nature, his, 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 his word, that our life aligns with him. It comes into agreement with who he is. But the mystery of his will, big picture, is to, we know is to bring it all together. Heaven and earth, at least the part of earth that is in him, will be unified with Christ. And again, it's, it's big picture stuff, but in the grand scheme of things, sin itself is gonna be destroyed. I love that. How many of you just hate sin and the, and, the, and the effects of it? How many hate the fact that you gotta fight it all the time? How many hate the fact, and we're talking about a lot of hate in church today, how many hate the fact, though, that you gotta be on your guard and you gotta live your life a little bit on guard so that sin doesn't jump up and, and, and try to attach itself to you, come out of nowhere and tempt you? Sin sucks. Sorry if I'm not supposed to say that in church. It stinks. It's awful. It's, it's the root cause of all of our issues. And on this day, sin is, itself is going to be destroyed. It's going to be dealt with. Sickness and disease, which are the result of sin in this world, will be uh, no more. I, can you imagine life with no sickness, no disease? Not just for ourselves, but for those we love. And no death? If you've lost a loved one, you know what I'm talking about. Death's no fun. Death is the result of sin in this world. But there's coming a day when all of this is going to be dealt with. All of it's gonna be destroyed. Death will not exist that day. The grave won't be a thing. There will be no enemies of God, for they will, be in, they, they will have been cast into the lake of fire. And I, I just want you to get, I, I want you to get a picture of this because this is where we need to get our worldview, if you will. This is where we need to get all of our understanding from, this big, awesome, big picture goal that God has for all things. And we're gonna read a little bit in Revelations 21, one through eight, and I know it's eight verses in a row. Can you handle eight verses in a row? Right. I just want you to get this. Think about this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had, had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. They're becoming one here. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is a great day. This is gonna be a great day. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, right? I always think of it low and big, right? Shakes the whole place. Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give uh, from, the, from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, for, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Everything that makes this vapor of life, church, will be no more. That's not part of the scripture. But everything that makes this life difficult will be no more. 
That's God's ultimate goal. Now, I, I'm, just, I'm just telling you this because it's so important that you understand everything you are, everything you do should flow out of the mystery of the knowledge of his will, the mystery of the knowledge of the mystery of his will, sorry, mystery of his will. That's, this, this is the mystery right here, and it's been revealed to us, those that are in Christ. And when you know that that's the end game, it changes everything. It changes everything about how you view things. His church, which is the bride of Christ, those that are in him, will once and for all be with their bridegroom Jesus and live in a place that he promised he's preparing for us. This is the very reason that God loves unity. It's his ultimate goal and why the devil hates it. When true unity occurs upon this earth, it points to God's ultimate plan. Unity points to the glorious future that awaits those who are in Christ, while at the same time reminds those who are not in Christ what they have to look forward to in their futures. It's probably also why the devil hates unity so much. He's gone to incredible lengths to pervert it and lied to humanity about what unity actually is. Unity in the church is scarce. Unity between husbands and wives is, is sometimes infrequent. Unity with parents and kids sometimes doesn't happen. It's, it's hard to get to. And, and some of you live in these places even now as I'm saying this. To, to be one, it's tough. That's because the devil's fighting you all the time, trying to disrupt and cause disunity. Once you understand, the devil always has a counterfeit for everything. And, and in this case, I, I believe it's uniformity, sameness. The world calls for uniformity, actually. They call for it and then claim that it's unity they seek. But make no mistake, they want sameness, not agreement. Sameness flies in the face of God's creation because he created them so diverse. He created us all so diverse, right? He created us male and female. All the guys, he created us male and female. Aren't you happy for that? I'm glad that this world isn't full of just a bunch of stinky guys. He created them male and female. And I think the girls probably are happy that he created some men. No? <laughs> We're created differently, and it's wonderful. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. He created them male and female, but the world calls for general neutrality under the guise of equality. He's the author of absolute right and wrong, but let's, let's, let's make truth relative to the individual until right and wrong doesn't even exist in the minds of people. That's all sameness. That's uniformity. That's not unity. They try to get to unity, which is God's plan, by using a perverted method, uniformity. Unity is agreement. Unity is diversity, yet agrees. And, and let, me, let me say this. They say diversity, but their actions never celebrate differences. They just try to blur the lines so that the differences don't exist. God created us all different. That's what's so beautiful about us. Different genders, different colors, different skin tones, different builds, different hair or kinds of hair or lack thereof, Pastor Jared. <laughs> Facial features, different talents and gifts, different, all of us in so many ways, yet God calls for us to be unified, to be one people through agreement, even though we're diverse. 
And of course, we are not called to be unified with those that are not in Christ. I'm not advocating for that. We are called to one another who are in Christ, to become one people by all submitting to the authority of our King, Jesus Christ. And if you've been not catching Wednesday nights, you're missing it. Dominic Roche has just been doing a wonderful job. He's been teaching the last few weeks, Wednesday night, about the kingdom of God. And we are people of the kingdom, right? We all have the same king. We come underneath his authority. We agree to come underneath his authority, so we are one people. That's unity through agreement, church. That's unity through agreement, not uniformity through forced sameness. Hope you can get that, because it's subtle, but that's how the devil lies. He does it subtly. He makes it look real good, real nice and shiny, but underneath, it's a lie from the pit of hell. Uniformity through sameness, by its own definition, strives to eradicate diversity. Think about all the cultural and social shifts happening right now. There's Almost all of them, there's a push for sameness. And let me just say this. I've meditated on this a lot, but, but diversity is foundational for unity. Diversity, and when I say diversity, I'm not meaning how the world defines it, right? Diversity in the sense that we're all different. Diversified. Diversity is foundational for unity. Just as sameness is foundational for uniformity. And don't underestimate the benefit. I'm on a little tangent, tangent here, but don't underestimate the benefit of knowing the mystery of God's will, his big picture, the, his ultimate will revealed to those of us that are in Christ. We not only know the game plan, we know, how the, out, we know the outcome of the game. How many are into March Madness right now? How many watched one of those games last night? Which, which, did you watch the Drake game? got some Drake lovers over here, the the three amigos back there, raise your hand. I was praying for you guys when the guys lost. You were soaking your sorrows in pizza, I know. And then the girls lost. Some of those games are awfully close though, we don't know till the end of the game how it's going to turn out. If you're a Vikings fan, this last year was hard. Because every game ended, you didn't know until like the last 10 seconds. If it was going to go into overtime, if they were going to win, if they were going to lose. It was really, really annoying. We don't always know the outcome of games that we watch and we get into them. And that, that, we know the outcome of this game. I just read it in the book of Revelation. We know how it's all going to end. It's an awesome thing to have revealed to you, the mystery of his will, to bring all things into unity, all things that are in Christ, those things in heaven and those things on earth that are in him. That means we're going to be unified with the angels. We're going to have fellowship. Anybody want to ask an angel a question? You get to do it. They're going to get to ask you a question too because I think they want what we have. It's just an interesting thing. A wonderful thing to know the end game. And it changes everything about how we live this life. We approach problems that we encounter, how we, how we approach problems we encounter, how we view the things that happen around us, how we treat people, how we set goals, or what we set as goals. If you know the end game, aren't your goals a little different? 
Aren't, don't souls become more important than things? It affects what we consider valuable. Knowing his ultimate will to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth, it transforms, it should, everything about you. I mean, I'm, how, how, how can, we, can we come up with some practical things for that? Yeah. I get a bad report, medically speaking, and I can stand here and praise the Lord for healing, for wholeness, either here or there. I get fired from my job for reasons that aren't my fault. And it seems like finances aren't gonna be there. And what is my family gonna do? Or, or maybe something happens in your family. Someone, someone gets in an accident or something and there's no income all of a sudden. What am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? Do we fret and do we worry and do we fall apart? And do we go? No, because honestly, it all is gonna be okay. We know the end game. Everything in light or in, in, in front of the backdrop of his end game changes the way we should respond to things that happen to us in this world. Everything, how we view everything. I mean, I, I, I'm sorry, and, and maybe I'm, I'm, I'm riding this horse a little bit and, and stating the obvious, but folks, do you know what's in store for you if you're in Christ? Then what the heck matters as far as what happens to you in this earth? Some people walk around with their lower lip hanging out so far, and these are Christians who are supposed to be in Christ, and I believe they are, but, but they walk around with their lip hung out so far that people think they're wearing a turtleneck. <laughs> that life is just so hard. And yeah, life is a struggle, but it doesn't matter because we know the end game. Life is hard. We get bad news. Bad things happen. But it doesn't matter. We know the end game. We know the mystery of his will is to bring all things in Christ, in heaven and in earth, together as one. He's gonna bring unity, and it's gonna be good. Right? We, all, we know this ultimate will for, for all of eternity, but what about here in this life? And that's maybe where it shakes down a little bit, and we go, hmm. How do we get through this life, this time that we live in? Does the knowledge of the mystery of his will include more than just his will for all eternity? Does it include understanding about his will for our lives in the here and now? And I'm gonna say to you, absolutely it does. First of all, his will is your salvation. It, it, it's all about you. Meaning, his will is for you to be saved. It's his will for you to be saved. It's his will that all people become saved. But when I say that, what's God's, when people ask me, what's God's will for, for my life? I just never know what God's will for my, for my life is. I'm telling you, it, it, God's will for your life is that you be saved, that you be in him. Now talk about stating the obvious. I'm gonna, that's the obvious, right? In all wisdom and insight, that's the scripture in Ephesians we just read, that's 8b. In all of God's infinite knowledge, he is omniscient. He knows everything there is to know. Our dad knows everything. My dad's bigger than your dad. My dad's the biggest, and he knows everything. Our God, our heavenly father, knows it all. 
and all of his wisdom and insight in how to use and apply all the knowledge that there is. He made known to us the mystery of his will. He made sure that we would have the chance to choose him, to choose the way that leads to salvation. I mean, I'm thankful that God sent that young man to my door. I knew about the Bible. I knew through my family and the, the good upbringing that I had what salvation was, but I'm so glad that when I went off to college in, in South Dakota, uh, at South Dakota State University, that, that that man, that young man kept knocking on my door. Most of you know that story. I'm not gonna tell the whole story, but I, I'm so glad that he knocked on my door over and over again, even though I rejected him. God made a way to, to, to give me a chance so that I could choose him, so I could choose his ways, right? I'm forever grateful for that. It's God's will that you be saved. And sometimes we miss, we miss the signs. If you're in here today and you've never asked Jesus into your heart and you've never um, made him your savior, I I want you to start listening up here because you're here today. That's your sign, right? There's your sign. Being in him. There's a need for us to be in him, absolutely. That's how we are saved. We are saved when we are in him. It's wonderful that we get to choose. He didn't make us puppets. I'm so glad that he didn't force Devin to serve him. She chose it. Or he didn't force Sandy, well, here, I got you on a marionette. I'm gonna dance you around. You're gonna serve me. You're gonna do this and this, this. God didn't do that. He loves us so much that he actually gave us a choice. He sends us ways and and means and he makes sure that we hear the message of the gospel and for every one of us that's different. And we only get to choose because he made a way where there wasn't a way. He made a way through Jesus Christ. God did what he had to do in order that a path to heaven was available to mankind, but the fact that he gave us all a personal choice in the matter is mind-boggling. He personalized it for you because he loves you as an individual. He leaves the 99 and goes after the one. He pursues us all individually. You can run a million miles away from God, and if you turn around, he's right there because he's pursuing you. He wants you. His bride is all of the church, all of those that are in him, but you individually are his bride, his beloved his chosen one. You are the object of his affections. And you may struggle with God loving you so much. You might even struggle with the way I just said that, that you are the object of his affections. You know what? Turn to your neighbor and tell them you are the object of his affections. Pastor Jared said, and mine too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we are the objects of his affection. He loves you. He loves you. I know that's really, really, might sound surfacy and not deep, but so many people don't get it. If you were the only person ever to live, he still would have sent Jesus to die for you. He loves you that much. He loves you uniquely. 
The mystery of his will is this big picture of all those from all time that are in Christ once and for all being unified with him, but he brings it all back down to you as well. As an individual, he has revealed his plan of salvation to you with everything you've been through, all the pain and all the hurt and all the suffering you've endured. He made sure that you could have a way out. He loves you. Absolutely loves you. Romans 8, 31, 39, and I'm gonna read this, and it's a little larger portion too, but follow me here. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is all speaking of the love of God for us as individuals. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? That's us, by the way. It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of, the, of, of God? Who, who indeed is interceding for us? He's praying for you. He loves you. His relationship is still going on. He, he's still wooing you, people, even though you're saved and you're, you're in him. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Then verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can't be separated. You might want to mute my mic. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And you don't deserve it. You can never earn it. The mystery of his will revealed to you has resulted in your personal salvation and all of the promises that go with it. But, but you can't earn that. You don't deserve it, right? He just does it because he loves you. I'm, again, I'm stating the obvious, but it, it's dawned on me that for some reason it's not obvious to the church very much anymore how much he actually loves you. You are saved from all the garbage in this world. You are going to experience his ultimate plan one day, but even before then, you get the blessing of knowing you are saved while going through this life. I mean, that makes me, you know, when, you, when you're up a creek without a paddle and, and you need to hydroplane so that you're not sinking down in it, that kind of knowledge, knowing the mystery of his will, not only his ultimate will, but his will for me to be saved, and he's done that. He loves me that much. That just makes me hydroplane on all the junk that we got to go through. I mean, you could say it this way. Are, 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 when, people, when people talk to you, and, and I'm sure everybody's heard this phrase, how you doing? And they're like, okay, under the circumstances. Well, what are you doing under there? <laughs> right? Why would you be under those? Well, because they're there. I mean, do you know how much God loves you? What he has for you? I mean, just, just mentally, emotionally, 
Put yourself in a place where you're hydroplaning on that. And I know it's easier said than done. And, and for some that are going through horrible things, I'm not, I'm not putting you down in any way at all. I'm just saying get your focus off the problem and get it on what you have in Christ. It's amazing, and he'll get you through it. He'll make you right on top of it. I really think we need a lesson on how great the salvation is, knowing the mystery of it. If you stack everything hard in your life, everything that's difficult, every hurdle, every obstacle, every circumstance, every situation that's tough, stack it all up in a big pile. Problems in your relationships, financial problems, sickness you may be going through, maybe psychological or physical, or maybe both, emotional pain from former abuses, mental struggles, addictions that you may be fighting, lies and persecution aimed at destroying your reputation, abandonment issues, daddy issues, mommy issues, spiritual authority in your life that disappoints you. All these things, homelessness, joblessness, whatever your hurdles or problems are, stack them up next to the truth that God has revealed the mystery of his will to you and you are saved. And I'm telling you, that stuff, when you realize how much he loved you, how much he did for you to make sure that you alone were saved, all those problems just diminish. You gotta see him in the light of what he's done for you. Changes everything. Victory over all life's problems begins when we see our struggles against the backdrop of our salvation. Anybody struggling here ever? I, I do. But the victory over those things, it begins when we see those struggles in light of the, or in, in, in front of the backdrop of our salvation. We, we, we have got something to shoot, or to shoot, I love shooting stuff. We got something to shout about, church. I mean, we can shout so much that we start shooting. But uh, we've got something to shout about, right? We've got something to shout about. It may be difficult, even next to impossible right now, your situation or circumstance. I, I understand that. But keep fighting because the day is drawing closer when the fullness of the mystery is will will unfold like a page in a book and it will all come to total fruition. I mean, as bad as it is for some in this life, the goodness of what we have to come will overshadow the struggles we face right now. So much, in fact, that they'll be hard to remember. 10,000, 20,000, 100,000 years from now when we're just basking in the glory of God. Are we going to be going, oh, I wish I wouldn't have had to go through that back then? It'll be a distant, foggy, probably not even a thought or a memory. We struggle for a short time in this life but we live in total victory for all eternity. I mean, that's perspective, right? And don't forget, it was all for you. Jesus did it all for you. Yes, for all of humanity, but he did it for you personally too. Knowing his will, number one, it's, it's all about you. His will is all about you, that you be saved. And the second part of him knowing, or us knowing his will, the, the mystery of his will in the here and now, not just his ultimate will, but for all things. But the here and now is his will includes his purposes. And that's not about you. It's all about you and it's not about you. Let me explain. I'm not trying to confuse anyone. And this isn't a contradiction. First, God loves us so much that he reveals the mystery of his will for all eternity to us. 
unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. We talked about that. Then he reveals the mystery of his will for us personally while we are here on this earth. As part of that ultimate will, he reaches out and reveals the opportunity for you and I to receive him personally into our heart and life. But he doesn't just stop there. That's the salvation part. Somewhere along our journey of remaining in, in him, being in him, living our life in him, something happens to us that's really cool. We are compelled. We start becoming compelled to become a part of his plans and his purposes, compelled to become a part of the mystery of his will being revealed to others. This ultimately is what gives us purpose. You have been so uniquely knit together by God. He's, he's put in just the right gifts and just the right talents. He's, he's created you so unique, uniquely. I love the phrase, we're masterpieces in progress. He's still working on us, but he put all the right stuff in there when he created us to make you. You're just right. He made you just right. You believe that? Patrick, he made you just right. Just right. I don't know about you, but as far as like self-esteem goes, if I know that he made me just right, it doesn't really matter if I'm a bull-legged redhead with freckles <laughs> who doesn't have much athletic ability. It doesn't matter. Yeah, you're all looking at my bull legs now. Yep, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> you can make fun of me. I don't care. I was made just right. I'll find the good in anything. I can ride horse all day and never get saddle sore. <laughs> the truth. He made you just right. I, I marvel at how much we beat on ourselves. We look in the mirror. We don't like what we see, but he made you just right. Is it okay to look your best? Is it okay to be healthy? Sure, but he made you just right. It gives us purpose when we understand that he created us, not just to save us and leave us, but to save us and then to begin to compel us to reach others. That's part of our purpose. That's part of his will for our life, the mystery of his will revealed. There's an unbelievable fulfillment that comes when we actively allow ourselves to be used in seeing his kingdom built. Unbelievable fulfillment. What do I mean by that? I mean, have you, have you ever led somebody to the Lord and they've been gloriously saved? There's no feeling like it. The world can have all of its highs. It can have all of its sin, all of its, what they think is the ultimate. It, it, it doesn't even compare, not even, not even a smidgen to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody and seeing them come to Christ. It's not our job to save them, I get that. It's our job to share and share, and you'll plant seeds, and you'll plant seeds, and you'll plant seeds, but you know, if you plant seeds long enough, you're going to see a harvest. You just will. You were knit together so uniquely to be you, to do what God has called you to do. And not just in how you look, but, but it, he's given you the right talents, he's given you the right gifts, he's even given you the right temperament the right personality. 
It's so important that we appreciate one another's temperaments. My wife does not have the same temperament as I do. That's a wonderful thing. We're diverse, but we agree, and we make each other better because of it. But God needs, I mean, kind of this tunnel vision, kick butt temperament that just, you know, doesn't see all the details all the time because I get bogged down in them. Well, I don't think that's right. Well, let me tell you, he needs you too. If you're the other way, or if you're that way, or this way, or the other, we're all uniquely woven together, and he needs us. doesn't mean we don't work on our weaknesses a little bit, and we doesn't mean that some of our strengths don't sometimes become our Achilles heel without the Holy Spirit. But at the base of it, God made you like you are for a purpose. I can't say it any better than the Apostle Paul did. Again, I'm going to read a little bit of scripture here, so just follow it. Let it sink in. For just, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into the body. Jews, Greeks, slaves are free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. We're all in Christ. We're the body of Christ. We consist of many members in that one body. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. I'm telling you, there, there's so much truth in this as far as how the church as a whole functions, the big C church, as well as the little C church. Every one of you is uniquely made, has unique gifts, has different things going on, and it's, 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 it's part of the mystery of God's will for your life, what to do right now with all of that information. Yeah, you're saved, but then what? Then you get to be a part of other people getting saved. It's the mystery of his will. Why? So that one day when we're at the ultimate, the ultimate end game of the mystery of his will, which is bringing all things into unity, that which is in heaven and that which is on earth, that's in Christ, that we get to enjoy it with as many as we can possibly get. Are you hearing me, church? This is all part of the mystery of his, of his will. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor can, nor again, the, the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. I mean, that involves appreciating each other. I appreciate those that have the gift of mercy, let me tell you. Are you hearing me today? Are you just sleeping? Are you quiet or what? 
I appreciate those. I don't have a lot of mercy. Well, that's a terrible thing, pastor. I know, that's why I surround myself with people who are, are merciful. Like Pastor Jared, who doesn't have any mercy either. Pastor Donnie, who doesn't have any mercy either. I'm just kidding. No, I, I'm telling you, that's why we're the body, right? That's why we're the body of Christ, because some have that gift, some don't. And it's okay. Is, every, is everyone, is anyone, everything? With all the gifts. Yeah, Jesus. We're parts of his body, so celebrate those things. Now, I'll never forget our former pastor, um, who was often called at the time to go to churches, even though he wasn't on any kind of official board or any kind of official position. He would call upon the district leadership to go to churches and to um, help with the uh, corrective type measures that needed to be taken in pastors and on boards. And he was often called into those situations. Why? Because he was just tough. That didn't make him very likable sometimes to some people, but God used him. That's one of the greatest examples I can think of. I love people who are so, so merciful that they can go into the hospital and just sit with someone for three, four hours in the waiting room. Well, that's back when you could wait in the waiting room for those kind of hours with a group of people. But I love people who have that mercy gift who can go and sit with those people and just sit with them and not try to give them all the answers, but just sit and hold their hand, sit and cry with them, sit and be there with them. That's an amazing gift. I don't necessarily have that gift. I can care for people, sure. But understand, you're different than me. I'm different than you. You're different than the person you sit next to. We're diverse. We unify. We don't want sameness and uniformity. We're different because God made us that way. Do you see the unity message woven throughout even this in 1 Corinthians? The body of Christ made up of all its parts those that are in Christ are all different. I mean, you talk about diversity, there's not one person in here who has the same set of gifts. And to know that the mystery of his will involves knowing where we fit in to the body, it's so important. It's not like he hides it from us. I don't, I mean, I guess I'm going here in the message because I've heard so many times over the years, I just don't know God's will for my life. I don't know God's will for my life. Well, what are you good at? What part of the body are you? What are your gifts? What are your strong suits? Be honest about your strengths and be honest about where your gifts aren't. Be yourself. Ministry is God working through your unique personality and set of gifts. That's what it is. Ministry is serving. So you just begin to serve and all of a sudden, the will, the mystery of his will is revealed to you and you'll be active in reaching others for Christ, in building his kingdom. Be willing to put yourself out there. Develop those gifts if you you have a knack for them. But allow yourself to move beyond his will of, of you just being saved. I don't mean that, that like that's a little thing. That's a huge thing. You're saved. I mean, that, that's, that's the mystery of his will, that, that you get to be saved, which is legit, and it really is all about you. And, and then move into the part of his will in which you are used to bring others into his will for, the, for them to be saved, which is all about them. See, at first, before you get saved, it's all about you. And then when you get saved, it's all about you for little seeds. And then all of a sudden, it's all about them. 
because you die to self and then you go out. There shouldn't be anyone in this church that's not a minister, a servant of the gospel to wherever they go, a missionary. I love that phrase, you're either a missionary or a mission field. Which one are you? Well, I hope we're missionaries. It's great to receive from him. It's even better to give him away. And let me use our upcoming Good Friday experience as an example of this one I'm talking about. It's one body of people working together and praying for revelation to be given, those that, given to those that attend, right? We want to reach those that don't know Jesus with the good news of his gospel by walking them through those events that occurred on Good Friday. We have builders, we have painters, we have seamstresses, those that create with paper mache, we have tech people that use their gifts in lighting, sounds, singing, even, even, even printing on 3D printers, the specific props that we need. There are set designers, those that write scripts, those that act in main parts, and, and those that dress up and are, are part of the crowd scenes. We have cleanup people and those that make sure the workers are fed and the those that are in costume get some food before they go out and get some water if they need it. We have those that envision these kinds of outreaches and those that make them happen. We have guides and those that are willing to talk with people and pray with people. We have those that are, in good, that are good with video production, those that are excellent at greeting people with a smile and putting them at ease, those that give above their tithes and offerings to make this kind of outreach happen. And I could go on and on and on and on and on and on. It takes everybody. It's a big thing, it's a big deal. It's not just, oh yeah, that's a few church people and the staff doing that. No, it's an all church, all hands on deck. And, and when the church all functions within their gifts and within their talents and they all do their part, the mission of the church is accomplished. When the church as a whole, and again, I'm talking, I'll, I'll talk about the big C church functions within their gifts and talents and the, the mission of the big, the big church. When everybody functions right, it works, right? That's the church, the church at large. Things happen. But it's also true for the local church. When everybody works within their giftings and callings and talents, things happen. When someone comes to Christ because everyone in the church has a, has a part and everyone is doing their part, the fulfillment just flows. There, there's something about feeling fulfilled in this life, feeling that you have purpose, feeling that you're here for a reason, knowing why you're here. That's so fulfilling. You feel purpose in the things to come, and they start coming into a clear perspective. If you're not involved in the Good Friday experience, you still can be. First of all, you can pray for the event. Second of all, you can buy a ticket for someone else to come and bring them along. Buy one for yourself, buy one for them, and bring them along. Could be a neighbor, could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a coworker, could be a stranger. What if you bought five tickets and then just went through and said, I'm going I'm to just go five. I'm going to find five people that I can invite and meet here. God tells you to do that, you should do it. It's not too late to be involved in something like that. The whole point of this is to make it easy. The Good Friday thing is to make it easy for you to win others to Christ. Nothing like the Easter season and the story of the cross to do that. Church, the mystery of his will is clear. He's got an ultimate goal, ultimate plan. We get to be a part of that. He reveals the mystery of his will to us, not just by writing it in Scripture, because you can write it in Scripture and read it and not get it. 
I think most of us in here get it, what's coming for us. But then, the mystery of his will, even for the here and now, while we're in this life, you ought to be saved. He loves you personally. Number two, he wants you to pull you in so that you can start loving others into the kingdom as builders of his kingdom. Builders of his kingdom. Doesn't mean you have to quit your job and be in full-time ministry. I'm not saying that. In fact, it's better if you don't because your workplace is a mission field. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you that in all your wisdom and all your insight, as God of all, you saw fit to reveal to us the mystery of your will. God, we know the end game. We can get up every single morning knowing that end game. Not letting this world and the struggles push us down and hold us back. But God, because you loved us and saved us, we're a part of that end game. You made a way when there wasn't a way. You literally reached down and snatched us from the flames when you allowed for us to hear the gospel and have the soft heart to receive it. And God, even more than that, you revealed the mystery of your will to us and that you have a plan for us to use us in sharing the gospel with others. What's our will? Or what's your will for our lives? It's to be with you forever, but to bring as many people as we possibly can with us. God, today we commit to you this. Take our, we, we, we take our eyes off the things of this world. We remind ourselves to keep focused on you. To remind ourselves, God, no matter what we're going through, of the end game. I want you to think just for a second of maybe somebody that you know who needs Christ, a loved one. Kind of lift those people up to Christ right now, up to God, in prayer. Let us be the catalyst. Use us, O oh God. Help us meet every divine appointment. Help us be actively involved in your will to lead others to Christ. Lead that person that you love so much to Christ. 
Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being a part of the Indianola First podcast. Join us next week to stay updated on our latest messages.